welcome to episode 9 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. Um, on today's episode, we'll be talking about buying versus borrowing, and then Christmas reading, yes or no, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we do that, let's have a quick catch-up. How are you, Rachel? I'm very well, thanks, Simon. How are you? I'm good. I just, well, um, well, just come back from a weekend in Shropshire with my friends, which was yes, lovely. I saw your pictures. They look gorgeous. It was beautiful. It's, just, it's a landmark trust property, um, which was sort of half Tudor and half Georgian, cobbled together in a not particularly um, <laughs> <laughs> intelligent way. But, but both both sides were beautiful in their own way. Um, and six of us just went and read books and played board games and went on a couple walks and did very little. It was great. I ate so much food, who just never stops eating. <laughs> um, Did cook for you? We took it in turns to cook, so yeah. it was fine. Um, and by cook, I mean put stuff in a pan and turn it on heat, basically. It's like <laughs> shove all ingredients together, see what happens. <laughs> um, and then basically every spare moment in between we were eating Doritos. <laughs> Sounds like the most amazing holiday. Oh, it was nice. Have you been to? Have you have you heard of Landmark Trust? Have you been to any? I have, yes, but no, I've never stayed in one because um, I'm tight, really, <laughs> and they're quite expensive. Well, I was, um, I always always thought they were expensive, but they're actually really reasonable if you don't go in the summer. Okay. Because their prices vary hugely throughout the year, and um, super cheap in winter. Landmark oh. Trust not a sponsor, but you know. <laughs> Well, I mean, it sounds good. The thing is, the trouble with being a teacher is that you always have to go on holiday during school time, and so I can never pick up on these bargains. But uh, true. I would, like, I would really like to stay in one. I remember seeing on the news once, or, or in somewhere, that that someone had put a lighthouse on. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, that would be bliss, but. I dread to think how much that costs. Yeah, the lighthouse that I looked at only sleeps one person as well. So, <laughs> so it's like holiday on your own. Great holiday for me. I love <laughs> <laughs> We might as well, yeah, true. I'd, I'd have to take a pile of books away with me. Um, <laughs> not see anyone for a week. It'd be great. <laughs> um, so yeah, one of my reading from that. Well, I started, the final book I started was I was there because I read four books while I was there. Um, was Queen Camilla by Sue Townsend. Um, which is a sequel to The Queen and I. Um, I don't know if you ever read that, but um, I read that a couple of years ago. It's about um, this vision of what would happen if a Republican, as in wanting to be a Republic Party, took over and the royal family had to move on to a council estate. Wow. And it's very funny. <laughs> I've never read this. I'd like that. That sounds like my cup of tea. I should read that. It's so uh, yeah. The f- I've not got that far with Queen Camilla, but um, the first one. It's so mostly so good because everyone in it in the royal family responds exactly as you imagine they would do to it. Like, <laughs> so the first one was written quite a long time ago. So like the Queen Mother is still alive, and she just sort of grabs a bottle of gin and gets on with it. Whereas like, <laughs> um, like Prince Charles doesn't deal with it so well, etc. <laughs> Very funny. What are you reading? Um, well, you know, I've, I've actually read loads in the last couple of weeks, um, mainly young adult books, because I'm trying to decide what I want to teach next term. But um, I've read a couple of Neil Gaiman. Gaiman? Gaiman? Not sure how you pronounce that. Oh, I never know. One of them. <laughs> uh, one of those. Um, a couple of his young adult books, which I thought were marvellous. Um, I'm not really one for fantasy, ordinarily, but um, this has widened my horizons. Oh, yeah, made me think, well, maybe I'm not so anti-fantasy after all. 
Um, they're very good. Very recommended for those who have children listening to encourage your sort of 10, 11, 12-year-olds to read. Um, I read Coraline and The Graveyard Book, both of which were excellent. No, the Graveyard Book was was very, was very, very good. And I had a bit of an embarrassing cry at the end while, <laughs> whilst in my classroom. Um, but <laughs> that happens to me far too often. Um, and I'm currently reading, I'm just over halfway through... Invitation to the Waltz by Rosamund Lehman, which I've had on my shelf for absolutely years, embarrassing amount of time. Um, Ties quite, and last time, did we talk about Virago and Persephone last time? I, I think, think it was, was last time, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, I should, I've got a couple of Viragos, I read those. So I've got that, and I've nearly, I mean, I've, I've, I've read over half in a day because it's so good, and I'm really enjoying it, and beautiful lyrical writing, not much of a story, but it doesn't matter. Um, and a sequel as well, which is The Weather in the Streets, which I've got too. So I should be steaming my way through those two. Um, so I'm quite excited about that. Yeah, I've only read Dusty Answer by, by Rosamund Lehman, um, oh. and I really enjoyed that. And it was one of those books that, again, I'd owned forever. And I think twice I'd taken it on holiday and not read it, and then eventually I was like, this is getting ridiculous, so I'm going to read it. Um, and I've got all of her other books as well and not read any of them yet. Of course you have. <laughs> Um, I've, yeah, I've read most of them actually, apart from Dusty Answer, ironically. Oh. Um, but I, I think the Echoing Grove is, is amazing. Um, I didn't get on with, and I really love The Ballad and the Source, so actually you should read those. Yeah. And I have read The Graveyard Book, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> so. It was just so good, I just loved it, and the illustrations were amazing. Yeah. Mm. Um, here's, here's a fun segue. Did you buy or borrow those books? <laughs> Well, actually, um, the the graveyard book I borrowed from school, um, but the the Rosamund Lehman I have I bought a long time ago for pennies, probably. I now assume when you say that you've borrowed a book from school that you just swiped it from a child in your class. <laughs> That's what I do, <laughs> and they can't say no, so it's great. <laughs> Is that why you went into teaching? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> free books. Um, yeah, buying, buying versus borrowing. It sounds like you're doing a mix, Jo. Um, do you know, I've actually become much more au fait with borrowing from the library of late because I live next door to one, literally. Oh. Um, and the stuff that I think, oh, I might quite want to try that new book that's out, um, it's really good to have a library to borrow from because you don't always know if you're going to like it and a new hardback costs quite a lot of money and I don't necessarily want to spend £15 on something that I'm going to give instantly to the charity shop. Um, so I think for me, I love to borrow books that are new releases. So often the Booker Prize list I'll borrow from the library. Um, I'll also like to borrow books that are reference books or non-fiction books because again I don't know if I'm necessarily going to want to keep my own copy and they're enormous often I don't have that much space books um but then you know nothing beats an impulse buy does it extreme Although, you I... about those Simon I'm sure <laughs> we'll come on to that for sure <laughs> <laughs> um I'm quite surprised that you say you borrowed the booker the booker um nominated books because I wouldn't yeah. have had you down as wanting to read them well, I, you know, I try and keep a keep a hand into what's current in the literary world, Simon. Do I mean, you? I, yeah, I, don't, I don't always write about it. Okay. Um, because often I don't like them, and then I think, well, I don't just want to sound like some crotchety ninety-year-old every time I write about a book that was written in the last five years. So <laughs> you should um, embrace it. <laughs> I don't write them like they used to. You know? <laughs> 
read a couple from the list every time. But the thing is, I mean, in my where I used to live, which was a much more middle class enclave, um, it was you know you were number ninety on the list for the Booker Prize ones, and you never managed to get them. But here in Tower Hamlets, <laughs> no one's interested. The only person who wants to read those sorts of books, so they're always out and ready to take. So. <laughs> The blessings of mass illiteracy. <laughs> Every <laughs> cloud. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, well, I um, only this morning I paid an eight pound fine at the library, but, um, but I'm I'm not much of a library user, despite having worked for the Bodleian for seven years or something. Um, I mean, you can't borrow books from the Bodleian, so that's a bit different. Uh, I didn't join the public library in Oxford until I'd lived here for five years, I think. I mean, and I had, for most of that, most been able to have access to all the university libraries, so yeah. it was a bit different. Um, and I still borrow very seldom. What, what, in fact, I've been borrowing quite a lot recently, and what I paid my £8 fine on is lots of <laughs> um, <laughs> piano music. Oh, of course. I, I didn't know you could borrow music. Well, this was a revelation to me. I feel like a public service announcement. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can. And piano music's really expensive, and quite often you don't want to play it that often. But I discovered it was like, you know, those um, children's books where uh, they discover a secret room behind a wall or something. Yeah. There's a whole music room in Oxford Library. I had no idea it existed. <laughs> oh. I, I, I just thought... I thought to myself, I wonder if they have piano music, I'll go in, and then just as I walked in the main entrance, there's this huge room to the left, it says music room, that somehow I entirely not registered before, went in there, and there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of uh, piano books, so we've been borrowing all sorts from them, it's great for that. I'm going to have to look and see if they've got piano books in my library. Ah. <laughs> I spend a fortune on piano books. Wow, okay. So about, apart from that, about what I tend to borrow from the library are... Books that my book group's reading, if I can, if I get there for anyone else in my book group, <laughs> um, <laughs> and Agatha Christie's, <laughs> um, because Agatha Christie's most of mine, well, all, well, all but two of them, in fact, are in Somerset, and once I get in Agatha Christie mood, I have to read Agatha Christie right then, right there, yeah. <laughs> and I haven't got time to wait for my parents to send me any or to go home or something, so I just go and grab armfuls out of the Central Library in, in Oxford and um, whatever's there, it doesn't really matter as long as I've not read it before. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm the same. I sometimes get in the feel for Agatha Christie, and I only have about two on my shelves, and I've read them, so... Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I think libraries are great resources, and I think it's a shame that more people don't use them, but I think, at the same time, the kind of... For me, what I love about finding books and, and buying books is, is going for a browse in charity shops, which is why I prefer to buy things or, or used bookshops. Because when you go to like a normal bookshop like Foils or Waterstones or whatever, you know, everything's in alphabetical order and, you know, it's all pretty much new stuff. Whereas the joy of going to the a, a shop that sells all sorts that's come from all different places, you just never know what you're going to find. And I don't find that in the library so often. Exactly. In fact, I was listening this morning on my way to work to uh, an episode of the Readers Podcast where Thomas and Simon were talking about ideal bookshops. And Simon's was was he would have to be a new bookshop or at least a mix of new and secondhand, whereas Thomas was more up our street of wanting it to be secondhand. And I was thinking, well, if you go to a new bookshop, there may be some things you often, or lots of things you don't know exist, or some things that um, you stumble across. But there's no real surprises in as much as you have a pretty good idea what's going to be there before you go, and it's all good, 
likely to be stuff that's been published quite recently. Whereas the joy of a, of a second-hand bookshop is that you just have no idea what you're going to find or how much it's going to cost. <laughs> so you could come out with all sorts of wonderful gems. And, I mean... I mean, you, we both knew this going in. My aunt's obviously only going to be by. I love buying books. <laughs> I, I often, my brother often tells me to stop buying books. Um, and my answer to him is that there's two completely separate pleasures, buying books and reading books. It's just a wonderful coincidence that they link up. <laughs> so, because I love hunting for books. Well, not even hunting, because I don't know what I'm looking for. I just like going and browsing and seeing what's there. I love the thrill of the chase. <laughs> and, exactly the same. I would yes. use the same phrase. There's nothing like it. It's like legitimate thrill. Absolutely. And we've both talked on here before about seeing something we've been really excited about and grabbing it off the shelf. And, and, and just, yeah, the idea of being able to for the amount of money it costs for you know a glass of wine in a restaurant or something to take home something that you can keep the rest of your life <laughs> that might be something really exciting that you've been looking for for years or might be something you don't know anything about that will turn out to be brilliant or turn out to be awful but for for like you know three or four pounds often you can you can buy it and keep forever. I still haven't got around the fact my head around the fact that I can keep books forever it's so and this is i think a product of a childhood where quite rightly being frugal uh people and realizing that my taste would probably change so often that i wouldn't want you know shelves of goosebumps books forever (laughs) (laughs) my parents encouraged me to go to the library all the time and relatively seldom bought books it has meant that now um the reverse has happened and i just I buy a lot of books. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. My I didn't really have many books at home growing up because my mum always made me go to the library. Uh, my mum's quite minimalist and she does not like stuff. <laughs> but also, you know, she always said, you know, if you buy books, you will just read them once and they're just going to sit there and I'd rather you just go to the library and choose different things. I was like, okay, fine. But then as soon as I had my own space, I was like, right, that is it. I am filling <laughs> with books. Because there was always that dreadful moment. I used to go, my mum used to take me to the library once a week and I'd take as many books, I can't remember what it was, things like 12 or something you could have. And I'd always get to like the night before it, I was due for the library trip and I would have finished my books. <laughs> what am I going to do? Because I've got nothing else to read. And I, I never want to be in that situation again where I've got nothing to read. Which is why when people say to me, but why do you have so many books you haven't read? Well, because precisely for that moment. Yeah, you could you could be you know, bed bound for months or something. <laughs> I don't know. No, you just never know. You have to prepare. Soaring up for intellectual... Um, enlightenment and stimulation when everything else may have reduced to nothing. I mean, you don't, <laughs> if there's a nuclear holocaust and I'm stuck indoors with nothing to do. You've, got, you've matter, got to think not, about these things. Yeah, and I just love also having, and this is something we should talk about when we talk about physical books versus ebooks. I just love having all my books around me. Yes. And I love the idea of having a library, even if I know that I buy books faster than I can read them. I'm not. I'm not going to read all the books I buy, <laughs> but I just love having. I just love owning a library and being someone who has this many yeah. books. And I read this great book um, called Phantoms on the Bookshelves by I think Jacques Bonnet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was written in French. I obviously did not read it in French, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of. Uh, it's a book about books, a book about reading, um, and he talks about what it's like to be uh, someone who owns tens of thousands of books and how that's sort of like a separate 
club of people. Oh, yeah. And I imagine a lot of people were just thinking, what a nightmare, all these difficulties. And I just think, one day, Jack, I'll be there. <laughs> just wait for me. <laughs> uh, um, I mean, it's for me, it's, it's a visual record as well of your life, isn't it? Of the yeah. things you've read, the things that have influenced you, the emotions you've had at a particular time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, really sad to just not have any record of that. And when, especially if you're thinking, oh, that book I read ages ago, I didn't think I'd want to reread it, but now I want to revisit that time in my life. I want to revisit, or, or someone wants to borrow it or something. Um, uh. yeah. Although to, <laughs> to lend or not to lend is a discussion for another day, of course. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm well. always very happy to lend my books to anyone and then immediately forget I've done it when I lend them to people. So I think I said that before, <laughs> and I just have to rely on the honesty of others. I lend mine. I've always lend mine and never get them back. So I just buy them again. Um, <laughs> I don't mind. I've often given books to students and never got them back. But I'm like, I, I don't mind that because hopefully one day in the future they'll find that book again and remember me fondly. So it's fine. <laughs> it's like laying a little trail of memories yeah. of yourself. <laughs> I can see you now the reverse of you, you like filching them from kids' hands. It's like you shoving your old books in their satchels. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, remember me, he scrolled in the front. <laughs> I'm a close. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> sorry, again. <laughs> Just blanket apology. <laughs> um, do, would you be able to estimate, do you think, how many books you do by in a year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I'd probably buy what, the equivalent of one a week. So at least 50-odd, I would say. I think I worked out a while ago that I buy the equivalent of about one a day. Which <laughs> <laughs> is absurd. I, there was, there was a one, one year where I kept track of how many books I bought, and it was so large that after that, I thought, I'm just not going to keep track. It's too disappointing. <laughs> this is obscene. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, obviously I don't buy a book every day, but when I do buy books, I often buy piles of books. Yeah, um, well, that's the same. You can't just buy one. It's ridiculous, yeah. Who does that? Um, <laughs> um, unless they're new, I guess. But I buy, I probably buy maybe three new books a year, and <laughs> and like and hundreds of secondhand books a year. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so I, I read about a hundred books a year. So as you can do tell by the maths, <laughs> that they are coming in faster than they're being read. <laughs> but you know, you're going to read them at some point. Yeah, hopefully. One and day. even if you don't, someone else will. Someone will, someone will, because that's the thing, they don't perish, they'll they'll last, they'll, out, they'll all outlive me. So. Yeah, we are guardians. Uh, makes it feel like a moral duty in some ways to buy really, more books. Frankly it is, because, you know, having worked in a library myself, I know that many of these books that no one buys or no one wants to read, they just get recycled, and to think of such a yeah. fate is... Tragic. We can't let it happen, Rachel. No, we are the last bastion. <laughs> so I do feel a bit guilty sometimes about the fact that I don't use libraries as much as I should because I do love, obviously I love libraries and I think they they should not have their funding cut. I think they're great resources, especially for you know families who don't have the money to buy books for their kids, yeah. um, or just places where kids can go and read if they don't have anywhere else to do that. Uh, and that's what makes you feel good about this piano music, thinking at least I'm now supporting a library regularly <laughs> rather than just, you know, popping in when I have an Agatha Christie fix every 18 months or so. <laughs> um, I agree. I think the thing is with libraries is that they are a centre for the community. And I think that idea that these sorts of facilities are 
unnecessary or can in some way be reduced is completely short-sighted and removes, I think, the cultural importance of local life from um, sort of government policy. It's getting a little bit political, but, you know, it's this idea that culture doesn't matter and that reading isn't important and because it doesn't produce any money or outcomes in any way, then it's, it's unnecessary. And actually, you know, giving people access to words and imaginations and worlds beyond their own is vital, far more vital than many other things that other people might consider to be necessary, in my opinion. Absolutely. And they've been quite sneaky here in, in Oxfordshire and elsewhere where they threatened to close, I think it was 12 here, in 12 libraries across Oxfordshire. And then when there was quite naturally revolt at this, they said, oh, well, you, we'll keep them open if people volunteer to staff them. So they did all stay open and it felt like a victory. In some ways it was a victory, but it does also suggest to me that good though those volunteers doubtless are, it is in some ways demeaning the profession of librarian to say, oh, we don't need you, anyone can do this. Yeah, well, there's that as well, absolutely. And, you know, access to information should be the most one of the most important priorities we have because without information, without culture, without knowledge, what are we? Well, quite. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what other... Because so, I immediately thought of borrowing being libraries, but I guess borrowing can also be friends and family. Yeah. Do you do much borrowing from other people? Yeah, I do actually. Well, I say borrowing. After that, <laughs> is it stealing? <laughs> it's just stealing, shame stealing. Um, I never have any intention of giving them back. Um, <laughs> they don't want them anyway. <laughs> I'm not ever going to read them. <laughs> do um, they know they've lent them to you? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I might just slip them into my house. <laughs> You're never coming to my house. <laughs> Nightmare. You must be dragging a satchel out. We were like, Rachel, you, I don't remember it being that full when you came. We're like, yeah, no, just some, just some fruit. <laughs> the journey. <laughs> oh, I'm a terrible person. Uh, but no, I do borrow from friends. I borrow from my sister quite a lot because um, she normally gets because she's been part of a book group, so she often will get the latest bestsellers that I don't really want to buy myself, but um, I would like to read. So I'll borrow stuff from her. Um, I don't really have, you know, occasionally from friends who've got interesting things, but not many of my friends are big readers, I have to say. So. I had the, so I had the nice thing, um, I think I talked about it, maybe in one of our first podcasts, about the book bingo I did at, uh, with people at work, where we had these sheets with things like read a blue book, read a Russian book, read yeah. a blah, blah, blah. Um, and lots of you all lent books to each other at that point. In fact, Queen Camilla that I'm reading at the moment, I borrowed from my friend Marley. Hi, Marley, if you're listening, I know you do sometimes. <laughs> um, thanks for lending it to me. Sorry, it's taken me ages to read it. <laughs> um, so it was really nice, everyone lending books to each other. And in fact, um, I lent quite a few to other people. And I said, Chloe still needs to give me back that Brecht Evans graphic novel. Hmm, must write that down somewhere. <laughs> but um, yeah, in general... So I think some of my friends do have books that I'd be very interested to read, but I, I'm quite an impulse reader. Um, I don't like planning too far ahead what I'm going to read. So as soon as someone lends me something, all desire to read it goes from me. And my housemate, Kirsty has lent me 
well, three books that I know of and probably more that I've forgotten <laughs> and that I'm really, really keen to read. One's a Dennis McHale book, the sequel to Greenery Street. Um, she has the sequel to Greenery Street. I know, I couldn't believe this. So she read, she read Greenery Street and, she, and I said, oh, do you know there are sequels? But you'll never find them. They're impossible to find. And she's like, oh, yeah, I just bought Ian and Felicity on eBay. It's like, what? What? Oh. <laughs> Apparently a copy just came up. It, it wasn't expensive. Uh, yeah. Is it so, well? I've, is it good? But you haven't read it, have you? So I don't. I've not read it. She said it's very good. Um, it's I can see it from here. It's sat on my bedside table. <laughs> she also lent me a Gerald Durrell book. Um, and possibly others. <laughs> I will, but, and I will. I will read them. They're all books I want to read because uh, I've got quite good at saying no to books. If people want to lend them to me, I really don't want to read them because I don't want to waste time on that. I was like, mm, yeah. not for me. But, but these ones, because they have quite similar tastes, um, so these ones I'm keen to read. But I don't know, I just never seem to get to them. And the thing is as well, I mean, I don't massively like to borrow books from friends because then I feel guilty and then I'm like, oh, I have to read it now. Whereas if I buy a book, I can just let it fester for a while. Exactly. Let it ferment and the idea, and then you, you can wait for that right moment to read it. And then, yeah, and I like the idea of when you read something that's been on your shelf for five or ten years and think, this was waiting all that time, and now I've read it, um, and, you know, it's great, it's not great, whatever. But <laughs> but it's just been there waiting. Yeah, Yeah, and it's been waiting for the right time. And actually, the, the book I've been reading at the moment, I've literally had for about seven years, and I've been like, oh, I should read that every, you know, every couple of months. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll read that, and then I never do. And I'm reading it now, and it's perfectly fitting my mood. Yay. So yeah. I think so I think we are both coming down, am I right, on the side of buying over borrowing? Absolutely, yes. Yes. Sorry, we are materialistic, but, <laughs> but I hope we've put forward good reasons <laughs> that aren't just have. Yes. <laughs> Great. Um on to the second half, which was your suggestion, Rachel. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, well, I thought of this because I'm not really a big theme reader in general, but I do find myself at Christmas hankering after um, something festive, um, especially as, you know, often in England, well, certainly in London anyway, you never get a white Christmas. Um, And I quite like reading about stereotypical Christmases to make me feel in the mood when it's just, you know... 13 degrees and quite warm outside as it is at the moment is it still <laughs> in Oxford because it's really warm here it is yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so I, and I love also um kind of reading books that transport me back to the what we always imagine were stereotypically wonderful days of Victorian Christmases um where everyone <laughs> was gathered around a tree and there was all this little lovely presents and food and candles and things um and it just makes me feel really in the mood for christmas so that's christmas is the only time of the year where i will read books in the sort of run up to christmas um that are very christmasy themed my favorite has to be little women i mean you can't beat that <laughs> Christmas, um, Christmas without any presents. Well, quite, yes. <laughs> and, and I also, I used to read, I mean, this makes me sound ridiculously geeky. I was telling someone about this yesterday and I was like, why are you saying this, Rachel? <laughs> um, I used to read A Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve every night when I was sort of seven, eight, nine, ten. I was like, what was I thinking? What kind of a child am I? Oh, that's um, nice. <laughs> and I used to like reading The Nutcracker. And I also had um, The Jolly Christmas Postman, which I used to love. Uh, a classic, yeah. Classic. Um, I don't know what happened to that, actually. I must have read it to death. And um, I haven't sort of discovered any 
Christmassy books lately that have been adult Christmas books. I know there was that British Library crime classic last year that everyone was talking about, but I tried to go to Falls and get it and they didn't have it. It was, um, it was a mystery in white or something like that. It was, uh, yeah, I've not got that one either and I, I'm meaning to read it and have not um, but, you know, yeah, I love to read those sort of cosy ones that have the idea of it's snowing outside and you're all cosy with family indoors. I just find those books really heartwarming and that's what I like at Christmas time. Yeah, so I was thinking about this before you said actually because uh, Samantha, who blogs at a, uh, a musical feast, emailed me saying, do you have any suggestions for Christmas reading where you do a blog post about it? And I still, I will do Samantha if you're listening. <laughs> I've been it. But... The reason perhaps I didn't do it straight away is because I was thinking, actually, I'm not sure I do change my reading that much at Christmas. Um, I've got, I've, I do have some Christmassy books that I like, and I will talk about them. But, um, but in general, I think I just read the same things I do the rest of the time, or perhaps something slightly weightier because I've got more time yeah. to, you know, sit back and read it um, rather than, you know, having to read it in between going to work or whatever. Um, but on the flip side. I don't feel I could read a Christmas-themed book at any time other than Christmas. So yeah. if there's something that appeals, I kind of have to try and put it in there. So the books I have read around that time, um, I loved Justine Garda's uh, Christmas Mystery. Um, do you know that? No. So he's the guy who wrote Sophie's World, which I haven't read. But um, this one, I, try, I can't remember a huge amount about it, except that it's got 25 chapters and you're supposed to read um, one a day through Advent, finishing on Christmas Day. Which is what what I did the year I read it about seven or eight years ago, which is lovely. Um, it's about a let's try to remember. It's about a boy. I think he finds an advent calendar and opens a different door every day, perhaps. And you know, magical things happen. <laughs> so um, it's a really lovely story. So that's a nice one to lead up to Christmas. Um, more in the line of the sort of cozy um, family get together. I really like Jane Gordon Cummings' uh, book, A Proper Family Christmas, which is about an extended family coming together and squabbling over Christmas, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I did also really enjoy G.B. Stern's um, Ten Days of Christmas that Jane from uh, Beyond Eden Rock was recommending a couple of years ago. And I got a copy from uh, Ver- Verity, who used to blog at Ver- Verity's Virago Adventure. Um, and that, very similar to Jane Colin Cummings, basically family get-together, Christmas, yeah. you know, what happens then. But my all-time favourite... Christmas book is, um, or story at least, is Just William's Christmas. I can't remember what, exactly what it's called, but in fact, I think what? I think I had a cassette read by Martin Jarvis of all the different William Christmas stories sort of put together, and they're brilliant. They're basically, he has an honest Christmas where he decides to tell everyone what he thinks of the presents they give him. <laughs> <laughs> he has a Christmas where he decides to home to make everything by hand. It's got a great description of him trying to make a sort of chisel a pipe for his dad and trying to... Um, something to do with destroying cushions. For one of, he's trying to make a tea cosy for his mum and starts by tearing apart a cushion and throwing all the down somewhere. It's all hilarious. I love it. Oh. So there, there's, my, there's my quick rundown of <laughs> Christmas choices. Yeah, I think there's... um, You know... There must be loads of Christmassy books out there, but I suppose, yeah, there's the one sort of, you don't get books, there's books that I associate very much with summer and things like that, but they're not books that I think, oh, well, I can't read them in the winter, whereas Christmas books, you really feel like this is wrong when you are reading it. It's like when people start playing Christmas songs in October, I'm like, no, this is just not right. (laughs) Stop. 
the madness. Absolutely. Um, but it's yeah, there's something about Christmas where I think maybe it's because you do have time off from work and you're at home a bit more. You feel I mean I certainly feel like I I really want to immerse myself in the season and to feel kind of just I don't know. I want to feel completely wrapped up in it and I love getting lost in those worlds and also I love the the period detail of Christmas in the past because I think nowadays, I mean, again, this is going to make me sound ninety, but <laughs> yeah, Christmas it's is not like it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how it used to be because I am only twenty nine, but um, you know, it's, you do feel very much like Christmas is certainly for me. You know, you're working right up until practically Christmas Eve anyway. You've got all the stress of getting Christmas presents and you're rushing around the shops and what have you. And then, you know, you're on the train home and it's just packed with people and you're carrying all your stuff. And it's actually quite stressful. Um, so having the chance to read about Christmases where everyone's just sort of knitting around the fire or whatever, um, or, you know, waiting in anticipation for the Christmas meal cooked by someone who's not them. Um, buy it, yeah. <laughs> which would be nice. Um, you know, it just kind of, it's like you think, oh, this is what Christmas should be like. This is what Christmas would be like if I was, you know, if I didn't have to work or if I didn't do this. And you can, it makes it feel more special somehow if if it doesn't feel special for you in the moment, if you see what I mean. Because but certainly last year, I mean, we didn't, school didn't finish until the 22nd or something ridiculous. Um, and so I had about literally a day to get everything together for Christmas. <laughs> I was never, I, and I just didn't feel Christmassy at all. Um, and on Christmas Eve, I think I read Little Women, and I just thought, I'm in the mood now. I can get into this. Yeah, done. Then. <laughs> I couldn't, because I was just so wrapped up in my own world, and I like getting lost in other people's Christmassy worlds. But I don't think there's any, I can't, I mean, the, all the Christmas classics, like Christmas Carol, Little Women, it's, but they're all Victorian, and I would love there to be a more... 20th, 21st century Christmas classic that you could read that was more representative of today's Christmas, but I can't think of anything other than maybe, I mean, there must be trashy sort of stuff, but something that's that's beautiful that captures Christmas, you know? Well, it's interesting that the ones I chose are all, I mean, they're all 20th century, but they're also all, um, well, apart from the Justin Garda, they're all tales of families like huge families coming together Christmas which is something that I've never done so because <laughs> because my dad's a vicar it's a really busy working time for him yeah um and we've never we wouldn't be able to have anyone stay with us or one year we have my granddad but having that we wouldn't be able to have you know extended family stay it's we yeah it's just a really busy time and for them they sort of relax mum and dad um the week after Christmas when the all yeah. services have stopped um and it's not that I mean I love Christmas with my family is my favourite time of year and I wouldn't change anything about it but uh, so I don't think I'm reading these like 30 people staying together um, at Christmas things out of some sort of I wish that was what was happening here but it's interesting for me to sort of that's my one glimpse into what a lot of people experience at Christmas yeah I'd like to read a novel about a bit being a vicar at Christmas. That would be quite interesting to see how they do it. Yeah, I was going to think it must be a nightmare. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you could write it, The Vicar's Son. Maybe I will. Be like, why, why do we have Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve? But, but we do, and I love it. <laughs> so I'm going to find it very weird one day when they retired or I have Christmas away from or not with them and thinking, Christmas dinner on Christmas Day? This isn't right. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting as well to read books and to see uh, other people's Christmas traditions because, you know, I don't, I mean, we always have a family, but, you know, I've got more siblings and nephews and nieces than you, so it is always quite a lot of people, but it's never, you know, extended family, everyone's scattered around. And 
I think it would be interesting to sort of read that. And also Christmas in my house, it's like people make a real effort to be nice to each other. Um, so <laughs> the idea that you can have these awful falling outs on Christmas Day, that would be quite fun to read about. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think also, you know, I do hanker for a simpler time when, you know, you've got just a, a stocking with a couple of things in it and you have to <laughs> stress yourself buying loads of stuff and wrapping. I hate wrapping presents. Um, because I'm really rubbish at it. Unless it's straight lines, it's a nightmare. <laughs> That's why I, I buy it from books. <laughs> I tend to surreptitiously get my mum to, to do my wrapping for me. I'm doing it this year by saying, Oh mum, I'm gonna get all my presents sent to your house so that um I don't have to carry them up on the train. And she was like, That's a good idea. I was like, Yeah. So have you got some time and you know <laughs> you can wrap them if you want. You're not gonna get her to wrap her own present, are you? No, I'll have to make her sure that she knows that's not in there. But you know, my mum likes to wrap presents, so <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure, you, I'm sure she's told you that. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, dear. Um I'll tell you what has a surprising line of Christmas stories, um, is Mills and Boone. Oh, really? <laughs> and I'll tell you for why I know this. <laughs> <laughs> so when I worked at the Wadley and I worked briefly in uh, the cataloguing uh, office, I, d- I didn't, I wasn't a cataloguer, but I did a minimum level cataloguing, um, f- for all the books that weren't considered, um, important enough to get priority cataloguing. So oh. more or less everything, but certainly, Lots of Mills and Boone. Didn't realise they published so many, but I did grow very fond of them because one of the things I had to put in was what height they were, and all Mills and Boone are the same height. So if I got a shelf of them, I only had to measure one of them, and then I could just put the same height in for all the rest. <laughs> but not only do they have like the Greek Billionaire series and the Doctor series and the whatever <laughs> else series, but they have all of these with Christmas tacked on. So oh, wow. if a Doctor romance isn't enough for you, then you can get especially festive with the Doctor Christmas romance series. <laughs> Well, that sounds like something I need to see. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure these are never in shops, so I don't know where people buy these. But, you know. So, well, you know where you can buy Mills and Bean from is you know, sometimes I go into, you know, proper old-fashioned post offices. Sure. And they have those um, racks that twirl around. Oh, yes. Slightly yellowed paperbacks on them. That's where you buy them. That's where they are. That's where they count. <laughs> <laughs> it's a niche market, but it works. <laughs> uh, dear, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the assumption that that probably won't fulfil your need for a Christmas story of set in the 20th century. No, sadly not. But no. I'm very happy to hear people's suggestions. There must, and also Christmas short stories, A Christmas Memory, Treatment Capote. Incredible. Oh, I don't know that. Tragic, know. but lovely. I think... More going beyond just Christmas-specific stories, I always feel Victorian uh, novels in general feel quite Christmassy to me. Yes, I, do. I feel like if I'm going to read Dickens, whatever Dickens it is, it has to be a Christmas. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's probably why I've read so few Dickens. <laughs> I get to Jeremy's <laughs> like, oh, next year then. <laughs> <laughs> I can only read you between the 25th and the 27th of December. But no, there is that sense of, of wanting to be cosy with them and being at home by a fire and again it's that association with darkness with december with cold weather with you know being indoors very much is what you associate with those like the same i feel wilkie collins which i know you haven't read um (laughs) charles dickens um brontes all that sort of stuff i very much think oh yeah that's a christmas read even though they're mostly depressing in subject matter that's true (laughs) Um, this Christmas, I suspect I'll be reading lots of things for shiny new books because the next issue of that will be out in early January. <laughs> so that may um, 
take over my Christmas reading, but maybe I, maybe it will be the time I read Wilkie Collins. Maybe I should get down no, to that. You really should give him a go. Um, you can't beat the uh, the woman in white. It's amazing. Yeah. Maybe I will, maybe I will. I mean, that's one I did by 12 years ago. So I mean, It's about it's, time. It's, wait, it's waiting, it's waiting. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I, do you also think, keep meaning to uh, try M.R. James' ghost stories? And that feels quite a Christmassy thing to do as well. Yeah, ghost stories. Um, also crime novels. I just feel Christmassy. Okay. Ooh. I've not thought about that. Um, but there is Hercule Poirot's Christmas. So maybe I should read that. Is there? Yeah. Oh. And also The Adventure of the Christmas Pudding, I think. Oh, that might be a short story. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. Sherlock Holmes as well. Christmas, I feel. Oh, see, all, this, all these things I need to read over Christmas. I'm just going to have to ignore my family completely. Sorry. I do want to try and get hold of the... I know there's a few of the British Library crime classics that are Christmas ones. I saw one in the, the, the Santa Claus mystery I saw in the shop the other day. Yes, Kirsty, uh, my husband, I was talking about earlier, um, just read that one. Oh, really? Is it good? Uh, she said it was good. I think she prefers the other two by Muriel Davis, whatever her name is. What is her name? Anyway, her. Someone. Um, I've read The Death on the Charwell, which I did enjoy. But um... Oh, I think she wrote Murder Underground, which I have been... Yes, she did, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think she also enjoyed the Santa Claus murder, the Santa Claus mystery. Something like that. Santa Claus. Santa Claus is definitely there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, but sorry. I would love, sorry, I would love to hear from anyone who knows mm. of a great Christmas book because I do think that my knowledge of Christmas books is limited, and I really am stuck on Christmas Carol and Little Women every year. So it would be lovely to have a fresh, actually set at Christmas novel. I have actually read a Nancy Mitford that was set during Christmas, and I cannot remember for the life of me what it's called. Oh, yes. Um, the Christmas Pudding? Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. no, that's really good. Yeah. Um, I have read one short story set at Christmas written by none other than Geoffrey Archer. Oh. <laughs> and I can't remember what it's called, but it's all about Pontius Pilate turning up at the nativity scene. <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there was a brief period when I thought Jeffrey Archer's short stories were the height of literary um, skill. <laughs> my, eyes, my eyes were opened. <laughs> uh, um, but yes, absolutely, suggestion would be welcome. And if I do get around to doing this blog post that Samantha asked about, um, I'm sure people will have suggestions there as well, hopefully. Very happy to hear, like, I'd love to hear some suggestions. So in terms of the teal book's decision-making for this bit, it's a bit tricky because um, I, it's, if I'm going to say that I don't do Christmas reading, it's not that I don't want to, it's just I feel quite uninspired about it. So I'm going to, I don't know. Um, I'm going to put, say yes for willing. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I'm a definitely a Christmas reader. Um, and I think more so than at any other time of year, I've, I very much look for time-specific stuff. It just makes me feel in the mood. Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Christmas cool. time. Um, well, this will be our last podcast before Christmas, won't it? So we should say Merry Christmas to everybody and a Happy New Year. Yes. Have a lovely time wherever you are. And, yeah, I hope you get given lots of books for Christmas. <laughs> yes, as I hope that we do. So we will have plenty to talk about. In yes. <laughs> I'm sure we will. That was basically uh, my entire Christmas list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Mine always is. Um 
Yeah, so thanks for listening throughout 2015, people. Yeah. Um, we've really appreciated the support, and we'll see you in 2016. Yeah, happy new year. Happy new year. Bye. Bye.